everyone. Welcome to Deprogrammed on Unsafe Space. I am Carter, and I'm joined by Carrie. Hi, Carter. As always. Hey. I feel like we just spoke. You wonder if Feisty Carrie is going to show up today? I don't know. Uh, Non-college educated <laughs> Whitney. Uh, Whitey. Oh, sorry. Non-college educated Whitey. Feisty Carrie. Uh, who knows? You know what? I always wonder if Feisty Carrie is going to show up. Sometimes Feisty Carrie shows up. Sometimes. Sometimes Weepy Carrie shows up. I was going to say, I, I, I didn't want to say that. But thank you for saying that. That's the Carrie that sometimes shows up, Carrie. Hold uh, on. The dogs. Oh, my gosh. Jack. Well, you don't know how close she was to not showing up. So. <laughs> we had a problem with my clock. <laughs> Let me get this other dog. Hold on. I'll be right Carrie's back. sundial was broken. And she had, she had, and she forgot to, yeah, she was churning butter and her sundial was broken. So she was very busy this morning. Um, does anyone else have this problem with their dog where so, Tiger won't eat if I leave the room? I have to stand there and watch him eat. So, it, and then he'll turn around and look at me the whole time he's eating, like, like I'm eating, huh? And then I have to say like, yeah, good dog. No, Great odd. so, so anyway, I was just feeding him right before this and it was, it was, I was going to be, I was thinking it was going to be late cause he wouldn't eat fast enough. But if I leave the room, he follows me, won't eat and the other dogs eat his food. Nice. He sounds like he wants to contribute today. So what we're going to talk about today, I know actually the title of the episode is a little bit, um, vague because we could very well be talking about evergreen college but um i think we're talking about something worse than evergreen college because we're talking about kindergarten and elementary school all the way through high school we're talking more about uh younger children today because if you want to indoctrinate it's better to start young yeah i so, think this is a, a topic that we're going to continue to come back to because as we said in Daily Kafefe the other morning, it's just getting worse and it's starting to show up in other uh, parts of the country. It's not just a California and New York thing. People think it's just a these liberal enclaves. It's not. Um, nope. It's in Texas. It's in, I know I'm from South Carolina originally. I know some teachers in South Carolina who say it's there already, you know, so. Um, so I today, just pull it up. I'm going to pull it up. Yeah. Uh, that's not what I wanted to do. Let me press another button. How about this button? There we go. Okay. Social justice standards. So this is a document. Um, actually, I'll put the link below, um, or I'll put the link in chat. But teaching tolerance. This is the project of the Southern Poverty Law Center. So you can imagine what it's leaning is. It's tolerance.org. And this let's, is. Let's say something about the Southern Poverty Law Center just quickly. Um, okay, because if we do have viewers who are on the left and who still respect it, like I used to do, <laughs> it's, uh, it's not the same Southern poverty law center that it used to be. It lost its way. It's become, uh, it's become, I would say it is an agent of hate. It's funny because they make all these hate groups. They put people on these lists and say they're agents of hate. Um, but what they really do is, is they sick, they, they sick SJWs after, other people. So they have um, people like Ayan Hirsi uh, Ali, 
and uh, Majid Nawaz, who are, I guess you could say in a sense, like Muslim reformers, they've put them on lists and called them Islamophobes. It's a bunch of white, woke SJWs who are calling Muslim people of color Islamophobic. <laughs> Um, and so anyway, just in general, if you still respect them, don't. Whenever I see their name now, I'm like, oh, of course. And, the, and it's, this, it's this game that they play where the legacy media wants to go after someone, then they get the Southern Poverty Law Center to declare that person hateful or bigot, you know, whether that person is Christina Hoff Summers or Mike Cernovich or whoever it is, they get the SPLC to basically unperson them. Well, Lindsay uh, Peterson has, the, I think, the best description I've heard yet for a one-sentence description, Carrie. They are a for-profit hate group. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh, and if you give them money, just look up what they're doing with your money. They have accounts in the, is it the Cayman Islands. Like, there's this whole thing that came out about how they've been moving uh, money offshore. I don't mind that, because anything that you do to avoid taxes is fine with me. But uh, probably it's hypocritical, if I could guess the politics of those people. But yeah, they've also carried, there's also like a bunch of people have been fired recently. There was like a change in uh, management. There's been a lot of like sexual harassment and other claims and that kind of crap going on. I think the founders are kind of skeevy um, and the management skeevy. But anyway, none of that matters. What matters is their ideology. I mean, that might matter, but not as much as their, how vile their ideology is. So here's their document. So it's called Social Justice Standards. It's not very long. It's only 16 pages PDF. Uh, the teaching tolerance anti-bias framework. So something I noticed about this is they, um, you know, Carrie, we've talked before about uh, how they mix stuff that sounds good with stuff that is um, their ideology so that it's easier to swallow a spoonful of sugar. So notice, you know, the name of the site is tolerance.org, teaching tolerance, anti-bias framework. That doesn't sound bad to me. Uh, it does now that I know what those things mean to them. But it doesn't really sound bad. And there's a lot of that kind of stuff in here. So yeah, they they couch it in these terms that are meant to make you excited, not excited about necessarily, but make you uh, uh, sympathetic to it because it sounds like something good. And a lot right. of times they teach this as part of any kind of like anti-bullying training. Well, who's who would who's for bullying? No one. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so I won't read their whole about thing, but the part that's relevant here. The program provides free educational materials. I think you can put educational in quotes. Uh, I, what they mean is indoctrinational materials, including a K through 12 anti-bias curriculum, the perspectives for a diverse America. Teaching Tolerance Magazine is sent to over 400,000 educators, reaching nearly every school in the country. All right, that, so this is not New. They've also, by the way, if you wonder about Hollywood, teaching tolerance materials have won two Oscars, an Emmy, and dozens of Revere Awards from the Association of American Publishers. So the cathedral loves these people. That should tell you something to start with. So what they do, um, I don't. We don't really. I guess we can. I guess we can read a little bit of this. But they they basically set this up. Actually, I can skip this page because they have it here. They have these. Um, different domains, anchor standards and domains, they call them, four domains, identity, diversity, justice, and action. So what they do is they describe identity, diversity, justice, and action. These are the things that they want students to um, 
to do or learn, quote, learn or be indoctrinated by. And then what they do, so like identity one is this, identity five is this, diversity seven, whatever. And then what they do, we'll read those in a minute. And then what they do is they, for each grade, they say, okay, well, for the identity one thing, this is what they should, the kid should, the outcome should be. For the diversity six standard, this is what they're, right? So you're supposed to have all of these outcomes and they show you specifically for each grade. So it goes from, you know, K to two, three to five, six to eight, and then nine through 12. And they tell you how to, how to implement this crap so that you end up with indoctrinated children. So Carrie. So, well, let's just take, do you want to start with their, their anchor standards and domains, like with identity? I feel like we should at least go over some of their anchor standards domain things here because uh, it's enlightening. So identity, students will develop positive social identities based on their membership in multiple groups in society. So right off the bat, what do you guys, pretty, yeah, what do you think that is based on everything we've talked about in deprogrammed? They're, they're teaching them intersectionality. Like they are teaching them the most important way to look at the world is to, as a competition between groups and look at yourself and tell me what groups you're in and then look at everybody around you and tell me what groups they're in. And they're encouraging them to look at people on the basis of race and sex and all the stuff that they say they're against. This is how they're breeding it. Yeah, and if you'll notice, this is this identity one here is really about how they look at themselves, right? Develop your own identity based on your membership in groups. And, you know, a lot of kids, especially, what was this? This is, uh, well, actually, this goes through all the ages, but kindergartners, a lot of kids don't think of themselves as members of these groups, right? Two, um, develop language and historical and cultural knowledge that affirms and accurately describes their membership in these groups. Again, look at that. Yeah, look at that word affirm. Yep. Affirm. This is about validation. They use that word affirm a lot. So it's supposed to be, um, you, whenever you see that word, it's meant to be uh, like validating to marginalized identities. Um, affirm. <laughs> I don't, there's something about that word that just bothers me. Yep. Three, students will recognize that people's multiple identities interact and create unique and complex individuals. This is an interesting one. I think that they, I hear this a lot. Carrie, I'm curious about your thoughts on this because I hear this from intersectionality people a lot. They say, well, the identities overlap and create multiple, you're unique and complex individuals. I, my feeling on that is that it's just a nod to uh, individualism. So people feel like it's safer, like, oh, oh, they're still getting to individualism. They're just doing it from this other way. I understand they're still individualists at heart because I think if they didn't say that people would be very concerned but this makes it seem like oh everyone's an individual uh but what i don't like obviously i don't agree with it because it's it's saying that your individuality comes from your membership and the overlapping characteristics of that membership those memberships rather than your individuality is as a function of free will and possibly genetics yeah right? they look at it as purely a function of what groups you're in Yes. As if, as if you are a Venn diagram of other, of groups, <laughs> you know, and you were this little spot of individuality because you're, you're made up of all these different circles 
that you're in. It's stupid. Yep. Yep. So, all right. Should we let's let's look at a few more? Oops, that's the chat. Sorry, guys. You already you already see the chat. How about this? Okay. Um, students will express pride, confidence, and healthy self-esteem without denying the value and dignity of other people. I mean, this is a throwaway thing, kind of, but um, self-esteem doesn't come from understanding your membership in groups. Uh, that's not where self-esteem comes from, but that's their concept of self-esteem is through group identity, which they're not saying explicitly here, but that's what they mean. Um, and if you were talking about real self-esteem, you wouldn't have to add without denying the value and dignity of other people. That's not, that's not necessary if you're dealing with the actual self-esteem, but they're not. They're dealing with self-esteem derived through these overlapping groups. And therefore you have to ask the question, well, what about people who aren't in my groups? Aren't they, don't they have, you know, aren't they less important? And that, that's why they have to add this without denying the value and dignity of other people. Um, students will recognize traits of the dominant culture interesting phrase, their home culture and other cultures and understand how they negotiate their own identity in multiple spaces. So this is, to me, this is creating a problem where there one doesn't necessarily exist. What, what do you think about this? Karen? Oh yeah. Th that they're basically saying you have to negotiate your identity and your, as if, as if uh, it's like a hostage taker. I don't know. <laughs> You're yes. negotiating. But yeah, this is something they talk about a lot. And the idea being that um, it's the same thing they come back to, which is that if you are in a marginalized group, you are having, it, it's a burden. It's you put upon by society and you're having to negotiate your identity, which may not be the majority identity. Um, yeah. This is and another, I, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. No, it's just another way of, of trying to um, re-emphasize their, their underlying belief that if you are in a group that is not the majority, or if you're in one of these groups that they call marginalized, then uh, society is out to get you specifically because of that group membership. Yeah, and something that, that bothers me about this is, um, well, another thing that bothers me about this is I'm not... Uh, I, I, I'm not convinced, in fact, I'm pretty convinced of the opposite. I'm not convinced multicultural is a good strategy for a society. Um, America was not multicultural in its history. Um, America assimilated other cultures. And the whole idea of the melting pot was that the overall culture may change if a bunch of Irish immigrants come into the US, we may as a country start celebrating St. Patrick's Day and get a little bit Irish as our culture, but it's a shared culture. I'm not Irish. I celebrated St. Patrick's Day when I was younger, right? It's, it becomes part of the shared culture and we kind of all have this shared culture. And when groups come in with different cultures, they get assimilated into that culture and the culture moves a little bit, probably if there's enough of them and they move a little bit and they probably move more. I view it kind of as gravity, like the larger object moves a little bit, right? The, the moon pulls the earth a little bit towards it, but mostly the earth is pulling the moon. And like, that's that's kind of how that worked. And you pointed out to me, I don't know, it might've been months ago, Carrie, that the social justice crowd doesn't like the melting pot metaphor because they no. don't want it to be a single culture. They don't like assimilation. Yeah, they, they don't like the melting pot. They prefer it to be like a salad. Right. 
where there's like individual, like there's individual pieces of a salad, but it's not melted together. It's not like a soup where everything comes together. It's a, you've got the the salad and then you've got, you know, this culture over here and this culture here, and you've got this culture, you know, there's tomatoes over here and everything's separate. And right. And, and the danger with that, if you're going to have any sort of democratic system is if you don't have a culture of assimilation and you have a culture of separateness and you've got boundaries between different groups, um, they're going to fight over the gun. They're going to fight over who controls the state because just take an extreme example. Um, the radical religious right and the radical Muslim Islam, right? They're very, they have very different standards for certain things. And we're actually, let's not take the radical, right? Let's take, uh, gay community and devout Muslims who think that gays should be murdered, right? Well, they're going to fight over, they're going to fight over the power of the state to enforce their culture. Um, but if you have assimilation, then what you have to tell Muslims who come here is, I, I get your religion. In this culture, we respect people of different sexualities. In this culture, this is the way you're expected to behave. And that thing that you do is not part of, that's not, that's not part of this culture. Um, and if you don't do that, you end up with all these groups fighting, which is what identity politics which is, is uh, what Pete in the chat says, enclaves that put their needs ahead of the community at large. Yeah, Pete, you're so, right. And actually there was a study, um, crap, what's the guy's name? Maybe someone in chat will remember. I, I know it normally, but I'm blanking right now. Uh, Putnam, I think it was Robert Putnam, did a study. He's a, a guy on the left, did a study about diversity in neighborhoods and he was hoping to demonstrate that it was good. Uh, and he hesitated to publish his results because what he found was in neighborhoods with large ethnic or cultural diversity, especially cultural diversity, um, not only did trust go down between groups, but even trust within groups went down. So even, even your, your little group, the trust between members of that group would go down if that group was part of a community that had lots of disparate cultures in it. So the idea that this is a, a great long-term strategy for getting along in a, in a democratic system where the power, of this, the power of the gun, the gun is controlled by the state and we're supposed to vote for it uh, is, is really naive because you're going to end up with that kind of infighting. And, and you're going to end up with less trust between people. Okay. Uh, I don't want to belabor this too much, but let's, so diversity, students will express comfort with people who are both similar and different from them and engage respectfully with all people. Like that sounds fine, right? Um, well, actually, no. Um, engaging respectfully sounds fine. Expressing comfort is almost 1984-ish. You will express comfort. <laughs> right, like, what if I'm not like, comfortable? Express like comfort. Yes, engaging respectfully, awesome. Yes, you should. I, I I have no problem with that. Teaching kids to engage respectfully with people who are different, but yeah, the, the you, you're right. Expressing comfort <laughs> is something a little creepy about that. Yeah, uh, students will develop number seven. Students will develop language and knowledge to accurately and respectfully describe how people, including themselves, are both similar to and different from each other and others. 
kind of sounds maybe okay until you add the last four words in their identity groups. So this is it like- It all goes back to what groups you're in. It's not about you as an individual and people being different from you as an individual. It's about people being in different identity groups. That's so right. important to these people. It's basically like the language and knowledge to accurately and respectfully describe is basically like black people do blah, blah, blah. Latinos do blah, blah, blah. Chinese people are like X, Y, and Z. That's what they're, that's what this means. Yeah. And that it also means keeping up with the social justice trends of what you can and can't say. So yes. now we say Latin X, right? Like it's learning all that stuff. Yeah. And actually I noticed, um, I have a list somewhere that I was making here. I noticed, uh, so they like to, to change the definitions of words or use words in a way that sound okay, unless you understand what they mean. They don't mean, when they say respectfully, that's not what they mean. What they mean is without hurting the feelings of the other person as measured by the arbitrary whims of the person on the highest rung of the oppression ladder in at the moment, right? Yeah. So you could be respectful, but if someone who's a disabled, trans, Muslim, black person says, that was disrespectful. How dare you expect me to be on time? Because I read about the white oppression is, is asking people to be on time. That's disrespectful. Well, then you're disrespectful. There's no objective measure of respectful. No, that's, it's, me that's what it's, they mean. it's measured by the other, the way the other person takes it. That's always, they, they say it's measured. Well, and if you say, well, I didn't intend to be, I didn't know that that was a fit. Well, intent, they say intent doesn't matter, so. Right, right. And, and keep in mind that the people that are getting this document, they are reading this with not necessarily the same definitions you are. When they see respectful, they, the, even if they can't articulate it, that's what, they, that's what they think. Respectful means not upsetting the social justice cart, right? So and and not not disagreeing with someone who is in a marginalized group. So right. move on to move on to number eight, for example. Students will respectfully express curiosity about the history and lived experiences of others and will exchange ideas and beliefs in an open-minded way. So <laughs> the the they will respectfully express curiosity. So they have a problem. I know I know why they're putting this in here. Um a lot of SJWs, as we've talked about, they're gripped with anxiety about saying or asking the wrong thing. And uh, they view certain, like they view innocent questions as being deeply offensive sometimes. So for example, um, it, they, if you ask a person, if you ask a white person like, hey, where are you from? They have no problem with that. But if you ask a person of color like, hey, where are you from? They view that as a microaggression that you're, you're being somehow racist because you're asking them because they look, they maybe look different from you or something. So they right. don't actually get to know each other. Well, like I was in this group with these, uh, a lot of white women, a lot of white female SJWs. And this was that conversation I told you about where they would, they would oftentimes like talk about like, I don't understand why I don't have more friends of women, you know, female friends of color. And it's like they were trying to collect them and, it, and, and they didn't understand that the reason they didn't have female friends of color is because they're looking at them as tokens that they're collecting. Like you're going out and saying, I, I want to be your friend because you're a woman of color. That's, that's, it's, it, it's disingenuous. Like people can smell that on you and <laughs> who would want to be your friend for that reason. But anyway, so one of the women in that group, she said, 
she was like, yeah, so this uh, woman, this black woman just moved to my neighborhood and I don't know how to strike up a conversation with her because if she were white, I'd ask her where she's from and I might ask this, blah, blah. But because she's black, I don't want to ask those things. It's like, what is wrong with you? Like, you're being racist. <laughs> like, you're treating right. her differently because she's black. And, and that's what this that's what this teaches you to do. So right here, they will respectfully express curiosity about the history and lived experiences. What that means is children, you will only ask the questions about other people that we tell you are respectful and that you well, can and, ask. And as Gracie points out in chat, it means prove you're an SJW, right? Mm -hmm. show, show that you are curious about the lived experience. This, the other thing that bothers me about this, Carrie, is we, we've talked about this before. Uh, lived experience is used as, uh, it's actually given equal if not greater weight than actual facts. So students will respectfully express curiosity about the history and lived experience of others. So this is basically like, this thing might be factually incorrect, but you're supposed to still be curious about their lived experience, which contradicts reality. And, yeah. and exchange ideas as if that's a totally valid thing, right? My lived experience is that there are green aliens on the dark side of the moon. Okay, really? That's like, that's how you're supposed to, behave in this way. Yeah, they they believe that lived experience trumps anything else. It trumps an argument, it tr it trumps um defending your position, it trumps facts. It it's it is especially facts. Especially facts. And so yeah. you'll it's not um surprising to me that this language has ended up in this document because it reflects like the current uh, mode of SJW thinking and like they have all these buzzwords as you've noticed and they continually update them there's always new ones but lived experience is a po very popular one right now yep number nine students will respond to diversity by building empathy respect understanding and connection again to me this is a little bit creepy because it's it's telling me that you have to have I mean having empathy for individuals is fine um treating them with respect is fine but that's not what they mean. They and, mean and, and also they don't look at that word diversity. They only mean, they only mean diversity when it comes to these identity groups that they keep talking about. They only mean diversity when it comes to race and sex and sexuality and religion. They don't mean ideological diversity. They are Great not, yeah, they are not teaching kids how to build empathy, respect, understanding, or connection with Trump voters. <laughs> Right. Like, if the if the uh, if the ten year old version of me walks into the school, no one's going to be held accountable for for granting me empathy, respect, understanding, connection when I start railing against the state. Right. That's not going to be. That's, <laughs> that's not part of the. That's not part of the curriculum. No. Number ten. Students will examine diversity in so examine diversity in social, cultural, political, and historical contexts rather than in ways that are superficial or oversimplified. I'm not sure what that means exactly other than, they add, Carrie, what, do you, what does that mean? Tell me, I don't know. I think this is another one where they're paying lip service to something. I think this is like the one that you, you uh, pointed out earlier about where they were trying to pay lip service to individuality um, because I don't, yeah, they will examine diversity in social, cultural, political, historical context. Oh. Oh, well, I can, I can also see what they're doing with this is they're going to make a lot of, make everything about historical um, injustice and how- and, Oh, and, I see. So they're going to examine current diversity 
as a consequence of political and historical context. Yes. That's what they mean. Yes. And they'll right. also so like probably outcome. Yeah. This, this is also probably part of um, like the stuff we've seen where um, they say uh, the history, you know, they, they start removing different uh, works of uh, literature and saying, you know, this is too white. We're going to have to go back and change it. We're going to have to make this, make what we're reading more diverse or it's like, they don't like certain, like that hall that we talked about where there are pictures of all these men who had won, was it the Nobel, was it the Peace Prize or what was it? Uh, it was, uh, it was a Nobel, I think they were Nobel Prize winners. So I don't Nobel know Prize winners, right. And they didn't like, Rachel Maddow didn't like that it was all white men. And so they took all the photos down. It's that kind of thing. They're like, history is racist. So let's reinvent I, That's it. the historical context. It's yeah. it's only white men because of racism. Right. Um, uh, all right. I, I know this is laborious, but I do want to walk through the 20 because it's the most important thing in this doc. And we can then just scatter brain, look at some other stuff. Uh, scatter shot, not scatter brain. Number 11. <laughs> Although maybe scatter brain based on how. <laughs> I think, yeah. Uh, Number 11, students will recognize stereotypes and relate to people as individuals rather than representatives of groups. That's, I, that's, that sounds good, kind of. It sounds good, but how are they going to do that when you've just spent number one through 10 telling them that the most important thing about them is what identity groups they're in? <laughs> right. I think, again, I think it's an, I think that one's lip service. Um, although Carrie, this could mean don't ask me as a, as a, representative of a group that's emotional labor yeah um i don't know but okay students will recognize unfairness of in on the individual level i.e biased speech and injustice at the institutional or systemic level e.g discrimination okay i can tell you what this is about yes please this is uh racism equals prejudice plus power so the what the part is right? No, no it, the the individual level is the prejudice part. That's what this is. They're teaching you to see a difference. I oh, when I oh. yes when I learned that when I was indoctrinated with that whole this is the new definition of racism and this is the new definition of sexism. Sexism equals prejudice plus power. What they the, another way they used to write it out was um, individual an individual plus power like. So they would say on an individual level, somebody can be biased. See, this says biased speech. On an individual level, I can be biased and prejudiced against you as a man. I can be prejudiced against men, right? But on an institutional level, it's impossible for me to be sexist against men. Does that make I sense? see. So that, I this, see. Is, this is another one of those, it's impossible for women to be sexist towards men. It's impossible for uh, people of color to be racist towards white people. That's what number 12 is. Um, so you could have, yeah, the, I also let's don't say, like this use of the word unfairness. Uh, they, they have this idea fairness is Carrie. I know you railed against, uh, uh, equality of outcome, but that's how they look at fairness. So fairness to them is, is outcome based. Yeah, right. but that, but what they just mean here is prejudice. So, so let's, let's imagine a scenario in a classroom where, um, let's, let's take sex instead of race. So we can use ourselves as examples, right? So okay. let's imagine we're both students and I, um, say something that is clearly, uh, prejudiced towards you because you're a boy. Let's say I call you stupid boy and I never want to play with boys and boys are all 
gross. And my mother told me that I should grow up to be a lesbian because men suck. <laughs> Who knows? Right? right. And then the teacher had to pull us apart. And so they would say, they would use this number 12 here. They would say that I was being unfair towards you on the individual level. And I was using biased speech against you, but keep in mind, Carter, she's a woman and she doesn't have institutional or systemic power. Therefore she wasn't being sexist towards you. I see. So it's what they really mean by this is students will be able to tease out the difference to say, excuse one kind of excuse behavior yes. for a whole bunch of people. Yes. Because it's just on the individual level. That's why I Got always it. ask. Yeah. I always ask them. So at what point, at what point is individual unfairness? What, at what point is uh, they want you to call it prejudice, right? Instead of racism or sexism. So yeah. at what point is prejudice going to stop being okay with you? <laughs> like at what, never. It's, what, never, like where, what measurable end goal are you going to say, oh, okay, this thing that I call prejudice to separate it from what I call sexism and racism. Well, now that's not cool anymore either. Right. Never. All right. Number 13, students will analyze the harmful impact of bias and injustice on the world historically and today. Uh, there's a lot packed in there. They're, they're assuming that there is a lot of, I mean, there is a lot of injustice in the world, so I guess that's kind of okay. But they're you know what they're focusing on here. They're only focusing on the. Um, oh, sorry. They're only focusing on the marginalized groups here, right? They're only focused on right. Um, and historically, and today, again, like you were saying, it's it's blame history for current. You know. Right, and that. they also they also try and instill in people this idea that things are much worse today than they are. I don't know if you've noticed this, but sometimes when you hear SJW speak, it's like, are you living in the 1950s? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, it's not like that today, but they want people to believe it's that bad. Yeah. Yeah. There's a little uh, conversation going on in chat, which I love and agree with. Um, they, they do, you know how Carrie, you know how when you blame men for something or you blame me for all men, I, I was saying like, oh, I'm just going to take credit for, if I get the blame, I get the credit, blah, blah, blah. Um, right. You know, well, uh, if everything that white cis men touch, then you can't use anything invented by cis white men. Like that's cultural appropriation. So, I mean, you can't even use the internet. Um, and I guess <laughs> I actually Alan Turing invented some stuff. So you could, I mean, there's like some non, non, oh, we didn't say heterosexual. Alan Turing is still cis white male. So yeah, yeah. he there's, says there's a lot. Can't, Joe Tundra says you can't be using any of that. their cis white electrical stuff. <laughs> yes, right. Um, interestingly enough, I, uh, I got into a conversation, this is a tangent, but it's related. I got into a conversation with someone on Twitter the other day who was arguing that, again, America's founded on slavery. And her her argument was like, all of the success of America is only because of the exploitation of, of slaves, um, which is so naive because slavery <laughs> existed everywhere, everywhere. There were, I think there was, there were more white, I think I mentioned this the other day, there were more white slaves in North Africa than there were slaves, black slaves in America. The the Islamic slave trade was something like 20 times as big as the North American slave. I mean, the, the amount of slavery that's happened in history is ridiculous. If you want to look at America and ask, 
what makes it unique. Slavery is not what makes America unique. Slavery has nothing to do with what it makes America unique. Slavery makes America just like every other freaking country. Uh, it's That's one of the things it took with, that's like, that's one of the legacy pieces of baggage that America took with it, which it should have left behind when it was founded. <sighs> Sorry, that pisses me off. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's do, let's do the next one. So Next one you'll like because they explicitly start bringing power and privilege into this, Carrie. Students uh, will recognize that power and privilege influence relationships on interpersonal, intergroup, and institutional levels and consider how they have been affected by those dynamics. Now, this is where they get you to start looking back at everything with your power and you know privilege and uh, marginalized glasses. And, yes, and to feel like a victim. This is a victimhood. Yes. Well, no, not just feel like a victim. They want, if you're in the marginalized groups, you're supposed to look back over everything in your life and yes, see yourself as a victim. But if you're in any of the oppressor groups or privileged groups, you're supposed to look back over your life and see any of your successes at, as being a result of your privilege. Yes, yes, absolutely. All right, number 15, students will identify figures, groups, events, and variety of strategies and philosophies relevant to the history of social justice around the world. Um, this, they're just, it's just like be Marxists. Yeah. They're explicitly telling you here in number 15, what they're teaching, what this is all about social justice. Yes. They're yeah. bringing it back. So yeah, we want Marxism. That's all it is. Yeah. It's in doc. This number 15 is we are indoctrinating you. Yeah. We are indoctrinating <laughs> your children. Number 15. Yes. That's what it is. All right. <laughs> but so actually of the four things, identity, diversity, justice, all bad enough, because by the way, I hate how the word social justice in and of itself corrupts the very concept of justice. Um, justice can only be applied to individuals based on their uh, voluntary behavior, their, their, um, their interactions, right? What they've done by choice based on their free will. Um, so they've corrupted the word, but the worst of these I think is action because action again is betraying the actual purpose of this, which is not education. It has nothing to do with shaping your child. It has in a, like helping your child be a better person or anything. It is about building a mil a military, uh, intellectual military or an NPC drone military. It's about building an army of people who are going to march and yell the slogans when asked without question. And that's what this whole fourth pillar is, this action. So number 16, students will express empathy when people are excluded or mistreated because of their identities and concern when they themselves experience bias. So Carrie, uh, part of me says this is fine because empathy is good. But what I don't like about it is again, the creepiness of you will express empathy. <laughs> you will, you will right? express it. Yeah, I don't I, like that. I don't like the forced empathy. I don't, how do you force empathy? But but the other thing about this is this is also there is a lie here because they will not be teaching children to express empathy when people are excluded on the basis of their identity. If their identity is a oppressor identity, it's it's baked into their belief mm -hmm. system that there are things from which men should be excluded and things from which white people should be excluded. That's why you see on all these college campuses, they have um, safe spaces where white people are not allowed. Right. Or so where they don't even really, you're telling me they don't even really mean this. Cause when they, when they say students oh. will express empathy, when people are excluded or mistreated because of their identities, they mean 
because, because when they're like of their marginalized down, identities yes they mean because of, if they're excluded on the basis of a marginalized identity then you will express empathy but if they're excluded on the on the basis of a privileged identity then who they're supposed to be excluded who gives a shit they need to stay in their own lane and shut sit down and shut up and listen to everyone else they need right. to check their privilege and listen that's that's the, that's their that is their view of how to behave with people in uh privileged identity groups and so there is a lie in number 16. Yeah and also kind of number 17 students will recognize their own responsibility to stand up to exclusion prejudice and injustice but only but, one but, way only yeah, one direction exactly it's only one direction and I think the corollary there is students will recognize when it's their job to shut the hell up and stay in their lane right um yeah. all right 18 students will speak up oh maybe that's the corollary to 18. Students will speak up with courage and respect when they or someone else has been hurt or wronged by bias. But again, Carrie, like you're saying, only if it's that per certain class of person. Yeah, only in one direction. Right, because if you speak up for Asian students uh, that are applying to Harvard, that uh, that doesn't count. No, because then they, they necessarily take that to mean that you're speaking against uh, Black and Latino students. Right. They don't view it, yeah, they don't view it as standing up for Asian students who are being discriminated against. Right. All right, 19, students will make principled decisions. I mean, the fact that they have the gall to use the word principled here just is, is uh, I don't know, it blows my mind. Students will make principled decisions about when and how to take a stand against bias and injustice in their everyday lives and will do so despite negative peer or group pressure. Um, this is just be an activist basically for us. Um, <laughs> Elvis says, man, I was having such a good day until I got harmed by some bias. <laughs> I hate when I'm harmed by bias. It does suck. <laughs> uh, all right. Number 20. I want to get through this. Number 20. Students will plan and carry out collective action and against bias. So number 20 to me is, is again, a summary of what they're doing. Students will plan and carry out collective action against bias and injustice in the world and will evaluate what strategies are most effective. Put on your damn pussy hat and get the hell out there and march. That's what that is. Yeah. That is, uh, we are turning your children into Marxist activists. <laughs> yes. Bully up. Yeah. Gracie says, bully up. <laughs> bully up. Exactly. Exactly. So... Those are those are the actions, Carrie, and okay. everything is everything is um, laid out. Then how to do this, right? So if you look at K K through two, the again kindergarten through second grade, they've got the identity actions, the diversity actions, justice actions, and action actions, right? Um, let me let me share my screen for a second. Is that cool? Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. Is that working? Yes, it is. Okay. So look at this one right here. Uh, so this is what? This is a K through two um, grade level outcome. I can talk about interesting and I can talk about interesting and healthy ways that some people who share my group identities live their lives. Again, it's about what group you're teaching kindergartners to talk about people who share their group identity. Well, and even the one before it, I know and like who I am, fine. 
and can talk about my family and myself and name some of my group identities. This is, um, they recognize that the kindergartners coming in here don't naturally think of themselves as parts of groups. So they have to teach them to be able to name their group identities. This is indoctrination. I mean, that's- Yeah, they're they are basically, so as we've said before, SJW ideology if, in a nutshell is the belief that the best way to look at the world is as a competition between groups and that those groups are defined uh, by identities and identities are these immutable um, uh, characteristics like your race or your sex. And that that's the most important thing and that, and that these groups are competing for power and that some groups have power and other groups don't. And so social justice is an attempt to rectify that by taking power away from the groups that they view as privileged and they also call the privileged groups the oppressors, taking power away from it and giving it to these other groups. So how do they do that? Well, here in kindergarten, we have to teach five-year-olds to name their group identities. We have to, you have to, you have to indoctrinate this into children because it doesn't come naturally. No, look at identity five and diversity six here, Carrie. Identity five, I see the way, it's right, it's right there on the screen. I see the way my family and I do things is both the same as and different from how other people do things. And I am interested in both. Again, this is like, be interested. It's, <laughs> it's not okay to interested. be like, I'm not interested how they do things. I don't, I like how I do things. Like I'm not super interested in it. Like uh, diversity six, I like being around people who are like me and different from me and I can be friendly. So you have to like being around people who are like you and different from you, you have to. Um, and one thing that I've seen in schools is this push for, I don't know, maybe other people in the chat have seen this or, or not. Tell me if you're a parent. I've seen this push for um, eradicating friendships, especially best friends. Um, but there's this, this push in schools to be like, no, you can't sit with the same person at lunch every day. You can't exclude anyone for any reason. Like they don't wanna have, um, they don't wanna have people saying, oh, you know, we're friends, but we're not friends with this person or whatever. You can't actually do any of that. You're forced to uh, sit with different people every day. You're forced to include people in a private little, if you have a little project you wanna work on, you have to say yes, if someone else wants to come and work on it, you can't say, actually, no, that person's a deadbeat and I don't want them around. Yeah, best friends is outlawed at school now. Thank you, Gracie. So Gracie's seen it. Um, it's pretty horrible. Gracie loves being told how to feel. Um, well, yeah, because they're teaching kids that any type of um, any type of discrimination is wrong. Discrimination meaning I choose my friend Mary to be a closer friend than my friend Sue because Mary and I have this in common and blah, 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 blah. That's They view that as wrong. You're supposed to be equal amounts of friends with Mary and Sue. <laughs> unless, unless Sue is black and Mary's white and then you can screw Mary. Who cares? <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. But yes. Uh, so yeah, uh, let's see. Diversity here, I'll, I'll put this up. So as I'm scrolling, people can, if you want to look at anything, shout at Carrie and chat. Actually here, wait, I'll put, maybe I can put this and chat up at the same time. Uh, no, I'm, I'm not capable. Here, I'll Apparently. share my screen instead. It's easier okay. when I do it right. Okay. Uh, unless you want to be in chat. No, it doesn't matter. Oh, you can do it and be in chat. Okay. Yeah. There we go. Um, 
blah, blah, blah. I like being, like you said, I like being around people who are like me and different from me and I can be friendly to everyone. Yeah. I want to know about other people and how our lives and experiences are the same and different. Again, this is a good thing to encourage this, but, but the way that it's coming off is forced. Yep. I know some justice 13. I know some true stories about how people have been treated badly because of their group identities and I don't like it. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. I know that life is easier for some people and harder for others. And the reasons for that are not always fair. That's true. But what the reasons that they will they list here, this is Justice 14. The reasons that they'll list here are, they'll give reasons based on identity, right? And only identity. Now, and also look at their, look at their scenarios. Remember when I, we said this only goes one way? They're yes. never going to include a scenario that goes the other way. So in this scenario, what they have, uh, they have an uncle... Shauna timidly approaches her teacher, Mr. Bradley, after school. She explains that her uncle, who picks her from school frequently, says negative things about black people and has been making her feel uncomfortable. He says that I shouldn't be friends with Renee and Jeffrey anymore because they're black, Shauna says, but I love all my friends. Mr. Bradley tells Shauna that he's proud of her and is sorry that she has to deal with something so difficult. He knows that Shauna's parents would never approve of the way her uncle is talking and promises to call them that evening to discuss the situation. <laughs> At which point he learns Shauna's parents are racist. Right. <laughs> Grandmaster Shauna's dad. <laughs> I don't know why that strikes me as so funny. He knows her parents wouldn't. How does he know? And maybe uh, maybe the poor kid has racist parents too. Anyway. Well, uh, the, the other thing that's interesting to me is um, leftists see boogeymen everywhere. I like, I'm sure there are uncles out there like this, but this is not normal. She's much more likely to hear a black person talking about white people disparagingly than a white person speaking about black people disparagingly. In this day and age, yes, because it's okay to say things like that about white people as we've talked about. So the society views that as okay. So yes, you're more likely to have it the other way around, but they would never put that in the scenario because they don't, they only... There, this whole ideology, things go one direction. <laughs> yep. so, uh, um, uh, action 20 is so the last one. Th action 20s are always good to look at uh, on these. Action 20, I will join with classmates to make our classroom fair for everyone. Again, uh, they don't mean fair. They mean uh, equal outcomes. So, uh, all right. Wait, Let's wait, just this, wait, wait, wait. These are funny. Let me read this one. At recess. <laughs> Joe notices, <laughs> Joe notices that Stephen has chosen to play with a baby doll. Joe snatches the doll away from Stephen saying, dolls are for girls, not boys. Anne notices the incident from across the room and decides to intervene. Don't be mean to Stephen. It's okay that he likes different things than you or the, or the other boys. How would you feel if someone told you that you couldn't play with your favorite truck? Their teacher, Mr. Mrs. Johnson, is taking notice of the situation. Anne is exactly right, she says. As long as no one is being hurt, you shouldn't judge someone for what they like. Can um, I you tell know you what would happen in like with actual boys? <laughs> what? Suddenly Joe and Steven bully Anne and tell her to fuck off in childhood. Why don't you go back? Who invited to you? We don't even like you, Anne. You have cooties. Get the hell away from us. <laughs> yes. Or Joe Steven's embarrassed that Anne is sticking. Oh, now a girl's defending me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh -huh, I want, a girl defended you. 
Yeah. I wanted to say something here because we were talking about this earlier. Um, well, we were talking about it on Daily Kafefi, but we it's come up a lot. So this book, The Righteous Mind, that Jonathan Haidt wrote, which is about the different types of morality, um, he talks about how liberals really only have two. If you think of morality like taste buds, right? They or channels. They they have two channels, and conservatives conservatives have like five or seven. They have they have more, but liberals have two generally, and one of those is the harm principle. So they believe as long as no one's being hurt, see that as long as no one's being hurt, you shouldn't judge someone for what they like. That explains why um, uh, like conservatives, conservatives have the harm principle as well, but I think it's a little different because they view, there are some, there are some behaviors that a leftist would probably say, well, no one's being hurt in this scenario. So you should be able to do it. But a conservative would say, no, that's immoral. Like someone's being hurt. And the yeah, example- I was going to say leftists are really good at ignoring hurt that's not uh, obvious and in the moment yes. right in front of their faces. But if it's yes. like, hey, I'm going to go kill this other guy and steal his crap to give it to this crying kid. They're like, yes, the child is crying and that's how to minimize hurt. <laughs> yes. All right. Yes. Retard. But that's how leftists think. Um, okay. We're, we're going to skip You're going to love Omar. You're going to love the story about Omar, Carrie. Omar's mother is serving as a chaperone on her son's field trip. On the bus ride, the teacher, Mrs. Robin, overhears a conversation between Omar and Peter. What is your mother wearing on her head? Peter asks. It's called a hijab, Omar replies. Many Muslim wear women wear them. Why does she wear it? Our religion teaches us that the hijab is a way of being humble and modest. Muslim women wear it to show they love God. Okay. Again. Or because they will be whipped. Depending on where they live. Depending on where they live, it may or may not be by choice. But, right. <laughs> oh my. Uh, okay. Um, Gracie's saying uh, you got to inoculate them from school ideas. I, I, I think it's possible to do, um, and I think Gracie has talked about being able to, to do it. Um, you can also just take them out of school. Uh, big fan of homeschooling. Um, you know, they don't need to, they don't need to be, you, you can teach them to fight before they go to prison too, but why sell them, why send them to prison? <laughs> why send them to school? Why send them, why send them here? Um, I think the best thing that could happen if schools lose their uh, status as respected, schools should not be respected and teachers deserve zero respect nowadays. Maybe there's some teachers that are great, but teachers as a whole, they don't deserve respect. They suck. They're as a group, who are, as a, are you judging them as a group identity? I am. You're not looking at individual teachers. I say, said some teachers are good, but as, as on average, I think they suck. Their their teachers are the people that, uh, you know, they're in they they went through college. They majored in things like women's studies. They're humanities majors who got totally indoctrinated in all this social justice crap, and they're generally not deep thinkers. So they adopt that. They go into the school and. When tolerance.org sends them their magazine or sends them this thing or is at a conference and they're told this is what they're supposed to do, this is this is what they do. They don't they, teachers are not Lindsay has a good point. She says I think teaching your child. Lindsay has a good point. She says, I think that schools should be competing for kids. Let the money follow the child wherever they go, including home. If only there was some way, like system where people could voluntarily exchange goods and services for money. I wonder if we could invent something like that and then schools could be part of that. Huh. Let me know if anyone has any ideas. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, all right. Um, number. Wait. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna keep rolling through this uh, a little bit, and I can. I, I can actually look at the chat and the thing at the same time. So we're okay. Um, let's see. All right. Where are we? We're on three to five. I know and like who I am and can talk about my friends and describe our various group identities. Again, back to identities. Uh, know my family history and culture and about current and past contributions. This is the bothers me of people in my main identity groups. So this is interesting. If you're not a white male, uh, then you are, kids aren't dumb. Kids can see through this crap, right? So when, 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 uh, if you're in a, in a, an identity group that there aren't just, there aren't a lot of inventions around you that are a result of that identity group. Um, you can tell when adults are like grasping for straws to be like someone in your identity group, uh, invented, um, uh, uh, you know, the little clasp that holds the bread, uh, <laughs> like they, that, that was your identity group. Like kids can tell. And it's like, and if you've, you've taught them their whole identity group, this, it's like, I, is that inspirational? I don't know. I think it's much more inspirational to be like, oh, you're interested in science. Here's Richard Feynman and Albert Einstein. Look at some interesting things that scientists have done. They're not in your identity group, but they're in your group of people who like science. Like that's the group that matters, the group of your interests and things that matter to you. That's it's what like, matters. It's like trying to get, it's like trying to get little girls excited about uh, players who are in the WNBA. It's like in a, you know. <laughs> or anyone <laughs> or excited anyone. about players who are in the WNBA. <laughs> yes. Like, yeah. look, girls, don't you want to, it's just, there's something about it. You're trying to, you're trying to pass off something. Like you said, kids can smell it. Like it's not authentic. They if can it, totally smell it. Kids totally smell it when it's like, who are your, <laughs> hey, Johnny, who are the inventors in your identity group? Uh, <laughs> Thomas Edison, Nikolai Tesla, <laughs> Isaac Newton. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Jane, who are the ones in your identity group? Uh, someone invented a peanut thing with a peanut crusher like all right that's that's great um like they're stretching like we are in a world that was predominantly built by white culture that's okay but you know why this sucks they because they they shouldn't have to be looking at it as their identity group anyway you shouldn't I have they, that's they, not their group is not their color of their skin their group is their interests and stuff they care yes, about that's yes. their group that's their group. And so they, they are, it, 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 it necessitates them scrounging and coming up with like heroes and all these different categories because, because they've now said that your group identity is what's most important. So right. they're like, yeah, thousands of years ago, your, your group invented the zero. Okay. Like, okay, that's cool. Mathematically. Like there are contributions to other, from other groups around the world. Absolutely. But, uh, just looking out at the world you're in today, you can the kids can sense when you're grasping at straws. Like, like Gracie says, how about your ID group is American? Americans have done amazing things. Yes, and you wouldn't and you wouldn't have to be forcing um, WNBA players on little girls if you just taught them that being that their identity group is being human and being American and being you know whatever it is they're interested in instead of saying like being woman is the most important thing. 
Yeah, when I was a kid, my the the quote, if there was an identity group at all, the the the, the group was what you're interested in. Like, oh, I'm I was like I was into physics when I was a kid, and so like it was, you know, Albert Einstein and and people like that, and uh, Mary Curie, although that's chemistry, but like I didn't, I wasn't like, oh, a woman invented radiation. Well, I'm not interested in radiation. <laughs> like, no. That there was no, there was no thought for like, and half the time we don't even know as a kid, a lot of times you don't even know what group these people are in. When I was young, I, I may, I, well, Albert Einstein, you probably know, but like Richard Feynman, until I was like older and saw pictures of him, like I probably didn't know, I don't know who all these people are. You read Carl Sagan, you don't know that he's a white guy. You just know that he's a guy. I guess you could assume he's a guy, but it, that's not what matters to you. What matters is there's another human being with similar interests who had a childhood and once knew nothing like you do and then later invented cool stuff or so, wrote cool stuff or whatever it is. I want to I wanna comment on something from the chat. Emily Jones is talking about how her children go to a predominantly black school and you, there are not a lot of SJWs there, which I, I don't doubt in oh, the slightest because it is SJWism, which is what she's arguing. It is a elite white phenomenon. <laughs> um, so she says, yes, uh, uh, what I'm saying is that SJW is what white people do when they're bored and don't actually know what it means to be in the minority. Yeah, I agree. I totally, I totally agree with that. And it's, it's specifically, it's what, um, well-off white people do when they're, well, I guess being bored means you're probably well-off. Yeah, you're, you're totally right, Emily. Um, uh, Epistavist, any word from Carter and Carrie? Not sure what you mean by that, so clarify what you want us to, if there's a word that you want. Like, I'm not sure what you mean. Um, yeah, champagne socialists. SJWs are the new champagne socialists. Yeah, and I look, I imagine, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not black and my child isn't black, but I imagine I would be awfully pissed off and offended by this, right? Well, um, there's the there's the mom we talked about who got upset because her kid came home with a paper, probably being indoctrinated with crap like this, came home with stuff about white privilege and she complained to the school. Now, any SJW who hears that story is going to think she's white and she's not. She was a black mother who didn't want her black son learning this kind of racist crap. And they just assume it's like they can't, I don't know, they're blinded to the fact that it's racist. Like that woman I mentioned earlier who is never going to befriend the black woman who came to town because she's too afraid to ask her questions because she's afraid that there's a microaggression, that unconscious bias wrapped up in the question because the woman's black. That's You can't see that your ideology is making you a racist. Yep. Yep. Okay, where are you at? I don't know. I'm just looking around here. I'm on uh, Justice 11 for ages three to five. I try and get to know people as individuals because I know it's unfair to think of all people in a shared identity group as the same. Although that's exactly what they do. This is one another one of those like pretend things, right? Yeah. Um, actually, can we read this? I didn't read this antibiotic scenario and it looks interesting. A class is discussing Cesar Chavez, uh, Cesar Chavez and the American labor movement. Kelly mentions seeing on TV that most of the clothes sold in the United States are made in other countries where workers aren't protected the way U.S. laborers are. She notes that even though worker conditions have improved in the U.S., it doesn't mean that we should ignore injustice elsewhere. She and several other students are inspired to go home and talk to their parents and purchasing about purchasing clothes from companies that practice ethical manufacturing. They also plan to set up 
a clothes swap to help reduce wastefulness. Um, actually, Carrie, I want to I want to say something about this scenario because it pisses me off. Um, my wife is Chinese. She grew up in China. Um, she has uh, made this point before, um, and the reason I'm bringing that up is because she can make it with more authority than I can. So I'm invoking the social justice rule of someone I know who this color said this thing. But uh, in, in a lot of these developing countries, we'll pick China as an example. Life for many of the residents, not maybe not some of the people in the larger cities like Shenzhen or Beijing, but life for many of the residents is brutal. They are, it's subsistence farming, basically. Um, it's, there's, there's no way to, to get out of your circumstance. It's just, it's like you would imagine in the middle ages. And when factories come to town and factories come in and people can go get a job making a Gucci bag at a factory uh, under conditions that you, rich, bored, white snobs, think is deplorable and is unfair, uh, those people are happy for those jobs. They take those jobs voluntarily. There's not, I mean, there, there probably is some slave labor in China because of their prison systems. I'm not saying there's not political slaves and, and that kind of stuff in China. But for the average workers at these factories, they take them voluntarily and they take them because they are a step up in their living conditions. Regardless of how bad you think it is, they are a step up in their living conditions. And when you deny them that job by saying, we're not gonna purchase that thing, you're not helping them. You're not helping their circumstance by having the demand for their product go down because you want stuff that's made, quote, ethically. That's not how that works. It's a step up for them. And what happened in the US, it's not predominantly the government that protected laborers. What happened in the US was the industry itself you know, people started to form unions, they started to push back, there started to be uh, a smaller supply as, as there was more and more labor uh, jobs in the industry, there's going to be smaller and smaller supply of people willing to take those jobs, prices started to go up, collective bargaining started to be able to happen. Like this gets solved on its own, but you can't jump into the middle of a slow rise out of poverty and, and scream about the injustice that's happening. It's unfair to the very people you claim to care about. Sorry, that was a, it pisses me off. No, I'm I like that tangent. All right. Uh, let's just go to action 20 on three and five. I will work with my friends and family to make our school and community fair for everyone. And we will work hard and cooperate in order to achieve our goals. Uh, the thing I hate most about this is the phrase, our goals. Um, do you notice like that no individualist would ask a child to talk about our goals? That's indoctrination. Uh, I want to call to action. I want to share. Let me share my uh, screen real quick. Okay. Uh, I just love these little scenarios because they, it, it uh, scenarios are funny. <laughs> yeah, and it betrays what they mean by all of this, which we've said only goes in one direction. So Mrs. Ramirez has divided her class into small groups for a mapping activity. As the students are gathering to begin work, she overhears one student, Joeo, tell the others that he doesn't want Jonah, a classmate who uses a wheelchair in his group. 
<laughs> when does this happen? I just, I don't, I just don't know. I mean, I, I know I, I got bullied a bit when I was a kid, but I just don't remember people being so mean. Like, anyway, just as Miss Ramirez is about to intervene and facilitate a discussion with Joeo and the rest of the group, she hears another student say, Joeo, Jonah has a lot to share with our group. It's important for us all to work together. You shouldn't think that his physical disability makes him a less important member of our group. Um, can, can now, now just imagine the reverse scenario. Imagine a, a table full of, it's eight kids in wheelchairs and there's one kid, Jonah, who's not in a wheelchair. And they say, uh, hey, Mrs. Ramirez, we don't feel comfortable having Jonah in our group because he doesn't understand what it's like to be in a wheelchair. And we would rather, we don't feel safe with him here. You know what Miss <laughs> Ramirez would do? She would tell Jonah he could not be in that group. <laughs> like, like that is that is the way this works. You're okay excluding people if they're in the quote privileged group, not but not it, 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 they would totally they would never write this the other way around because they they would have no problem with it. Does that make sense? Yes, although can I point out something else about that particular um, scenario? Yeah. So it says that she's divided her class into small groups fine. She hears one student tell the others that he doesn't want Jonah a classmate who uses a wheelchair in his group. Doesn't say why. <laughs> doesn't say, I don't want Jonah because he has in a wheelchair. Just doesn't want Jonah. She jumps to the conclusion that uh, it's because he's in a wheelchair. Maybe Jonah's a fucking slacker and no one wants <laughs> Jonah in his group. People in wheelchairs can suck too. Everyone can suck. That's part of life. All right. Let's, uh, let's move on to grade six to eight. There's a couple in grade six to eight I want to look at. Um, so grade six to eight. Well, there's more, some of this is more of the, more of the same here. I'll put, I'll put this up. Hold on. Uh, sorry. I have a, I'm discombobulated. Okay. Six to eight. So, uh, diversity seven again, I can accurately and respectfully describe ways that people, including myself, are similar to and different from each other and others in their identity groups. It's again, all about identity groups. Um, Justice 12, I can recognize and describe unfairness and injustice in many forms, including attitudes, speech, behaviors, practices, and laws. So this is more activism, Carrie. Um, this is more like I see unfairness and justice in laws, and they don't mean they don't mean what you and I would normally think about in terms of injustice. They don't mean uh, segregation laws. That's not what they're talking about. No. Um, uh, what else do we got here? Let's let's just read some more of the scenarios. <laughs> okay, let's. You like scenarios? <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, read, read the Christian one. <laughs> which one? Where's the Christian one? Scroll on down. You're there. Patrick is raised in a uh, traditional Christian home. Yeah. That one. Okay. Patrick is being raised in a traditional Christian home. This year in Mr. Sanderson's social studies class, he has been learning about the world's different belief systems. Patrick enjoys the company of friends from different religions and is interested in their beliefs and practices. Though he remains devout, he wonders if being curious makes him a bad Christian. See how they're kind of, see how they're kind of, making a dig at Christians there as if Christians are incurious. 
Yeah, and I'm gonna I'll address that in a sec, but I totally agree with you. Patrick talks to his Sunday school teacher, Mrs. Patterson, who assures him that he can be Christian and befriended and learn from people of different religions as well. In fact, her best friend of 30 years is a Jewish woman. <gasps> How unlikely a Jewish and a Christian person uh, she grew up with. Yeah, this is, the, this is the vilification of Christianity generally, right? They blame, they talk about the Crusades without talking about the causes of the Crusades and the, and the Muslim uh, the, the reaction largely to Muslim invasions. And it's a lot more complicated. It's not just Christians run around killing people. And as we learned from Dr. Rachel Fulton Brown, uh, part of the what makes Christianity different than a lot of other religions, especially religions like Islam, is they their idea of proselytization is this, you know, they send missionaries out who have to actually learn and have empathy for and integrate to some extent in cultures around the world, uh, understand those cultures and kind of gradually uh, Introduce, like introduce Christianity and try and convince them through words, not through violence. And uh, the Christian tradition has been one of uh, learning what other cultures do and integrating the, the good things about those cultures into their belief system. So again, I'm saying this as an atheist, but it's they hate Christianity. I mean, I don't know if the only thing worse than a cis white male who's heterosexual is a Christian cis white heterosexual male. Yes. Yes, Andrew has a good point in the chat. He says, huh, two people from Abrahamic religions get along. You don't say, shame Islam is so against other religions. They wouldn't have this scenario and say, Patrick is being raised in a traditional Muslim home <laughs> this year. That's because <laughs> when Patrick went home, his, his parents would be like, yes, kill the Jews. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, they... <laughs> Yeah, they just wouldn't, they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have this, they wouldn't paint it in another way. Um, yeah. Then there's one about being gay. Then there's one about immigration. I'm just reading all these scenarios. Um, blah, blah, blah. Fun scenarios. Yeah. Uh, then there's one about being fat. Cause we, as you know, that's one of their identity groups now. Oh we, yeah. Being fat. We did a whole episode on this. So they, they continually, because you get social currency, the more of the marginalized groups that you're in, then they're continually looking at everything and dividing it up into these binary categories. So now fat is one. So fat is a marginalized identity. It's an oppressed identity and not being fat is privileged. And it is, you're an oppressor if you're not fat. So there's one here about, let's see if I can share that one. Well, and being fat is, this is a weird one too, because it's not an immutable characteristic. Um, right, like, but they treat it like one and they treat right. mental illness like one too. And that's why they keep people mired in bad habits because they right. teach you to look at being fat as your identity, as right. if it's unchangeable. And they teach you to look at being uh, mentally ill as being your identity and as if it's unchangeable. Well, and being fat, like knowing that you're fat, being told that you're fat or being viewed as unattractive is what often spurs people to be healthy, healthier. <laughs> like, yeah. it's, I mean- you know. And by the way, this is wrong. She explains that shaming people for their weight is ineffective at helping them lose weight and just makes them feel bad about themselves. No, shaming people for their weight does work. Okay. I'm not saying being mean to them, but as a culture, like if you can't, they, they want to trade, they want to say, again, they want to, they want to do the opposite always. Um, but take like, take it too far. They can't, they can't find, they don't understand like this over here is bad, right? This over here, making fun of people for their weight is bad. Therefore, we're not going to judge, say anything about weight at all. And in fact, we're going to say it's cool to be fat 
and, and you should not worry about being fat. They go way too far in the other direction and they encourage unhealthy behavior and unhealthy eating habits and sedentary behavior when they do that. That bothers me. Yeah. I, I mean, it, I, I totally agree. And I don't look, I don't, they take it so far. Go around shame people, but they their definition of shaming includes saying things like, "Hey, this thin person is good looking, and this fat person is not good looking." That's not shame. That's expressing your opinion, and those opinions do change people's behaviors. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Okay, I have to go soon, but I really want to share this one. This one makes me laugh. Okay, sure, sure. Okay. One. As part of a class project, Rebecca completes the following personal mission statement, quote, I am more than one identity. I will celebrate all of my in-group and out-group identities and work to understand how they overlap to make up who I am as an individual. I will not allow others to put me into boxes, Rebecca <laughs> As she proceeds to put herself into boxes. No, like, no, 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 Carrie, you're yeah. misunderstanding. She's no. not gonna let other people put her in boxes. She's in circles. She's in no, it's no, but, totally different. It's a different geometry. Circles that intersect. No, but I love this. I will not allow others to put me into boxes, Rebecca explains as she put herself in boxes. That's literally what she, Rebecca explains to her peers in small group discussion that being a student, sister, female, Latina, Spanish speaker, and dancer are all interconnected in equally important boxes. <laughs> no, they're not equally important, actually. Uh. <laughs> Uh, oh my gosh, that one just kills me. That one kills me. <laughs> it's it's uh it's pretty pathetic, Carrie. It's pretty pathetic. I you know, I just want to point out a couple things about that. If you I pasted this document in uh the chat, the link to it, so anyone can follow along without our screen. But uh I I the thing that strikes me the most is just look at the action 20s uh on all these grades. They're all achieve our goals work to achieve our goals. They're all social just like, you know, if this was, this is nine to 12, if they did this for college students, action 20 would be join Antifa, right? It's that's, that's all this is. It's all, we're going to use creative actions in order to achieve our goals. The idea that there are collective goals is, uh, runs contrary to the very foundations of individualism upon which the society is built. And uh, which matters, probably the worst thing that they can do to your child, it's not to not teach them math. It's not to, uh, you know, fail to teach them this subject or that subject. One of the worst things they can do is destroy their sense of individualism, destroy their sense of individual identity. And that's what they've done. They've ruined their ability to think. Their ability to think as an individual, I guess, is the thing that they can do, right? They, 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 use, they use words like approach open-minded and non-judgmental. Well, Actually, you don't want that. You want a child to learn how to be judgmental appropriately, how to appropriately judge and even treat people with respect when you judge their actions wrong, but still judge their actions wrong. It's how to, it's how to think on your own and make your own decisions and be your own autonomous thinking individual. None of this is about that. This is all about joining our goals and being our foot soldier in the war to instill Marxism. That's what this is. Right. Hey, I have to go, but I want to address something in the chat real quick. Cause I, I guess I didn't make myself clear and I want to make myself more clear. Okay. Joe says fat shaming doesn't change behavior any more than booze or drug shaming does that overeating is largely an addictive behavior. I totally agree. I do think it's largely an addictive behavior. My point is not, 
I guess I should define fat shaming. I don't. You're mean, using their definition of shame, which is broad. Right, and I don't mean what they. I don't mean making fun of a fat person. I mean not condoning as a culture being overweight as something that's okay. Like they, they want us to celebrate fatness, right? Like they want us to celebrate people being overweight. They want them to stay in unhealthy, addictive behaviors. And I'm saying right. that that doesn't work. That works even less. <laughs> that works even less. So like, I'm not saying be mean to people. I'm just saying, don't coddle people and tell them um, you're okay. You're healthy at any size. Um, you're not helping them when you do that. You're not helping. You wouldn't want your kid to have health problems so don't tell your kid that it's okay to be obese. You know, that's what I mean. That's what, as culturally, they want us to be at a place where we pretend like uh, being fat is healthy. And and I'm just, I, that doesn't, it's not healthy and it doesn't help people. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, for- Joe, yeah, I know you're, you were clarifying. Yeah, and so, so, so was I, I felt I should probably clarify so people understood. Yeah, what no, I- it, it's good, Carrie. Um, you know, yeah. this reminds me of, uh, I don't know if you have to go. I don't want to keep you. But. I do. I have to go to work, guys. But um, but you stay because there's a little bit more here. Read some. There's one little thing I want to bring up, and then if people okay. want to end, we'll end. But um, bye, guys. Bye, bye, partner. Yeah. Have a good day at work. I try not to um, shame anyone. Yeah. Try not to wine shame <laughs> or whatever. Fat shame. Anything shame. <laughs> um. Uh. Yeah. The thing I wanted to bring up is this reminds me. There's a book by Carol Dweck called. Um, it's called mindset. And uh, one of the main one of the main attributes necessary for success is this idea that you're not in a fixed mindset that like you don't have a fixed mindset that she 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 uh, contrasts a fixed mindset. She's I think a professor at Stanford psychologist. She contrasts a fixed mindset with um, I forget the other term she used. It's been a while since I read the book, but like a, a flexible or growth mindset. That's what it is. That might even be the name of the book, Growth Mindset. Anyway, um, the growth mindset is this idea that you can change who you are, that you can, um, that whatever you know or whatever you are now, that you're constantly uh, evaluating and that you can, you view yourself as someone who can evolve and grow. And that's extremely important in terms of having success and being happy in life. And the fixed mindset people tend to think, um, for example, a growth mindset person won't say I'm dumb or I'm smart they'll be like, I think I can learn this. If I work hard, I can do this. If I, if I take these actions, then I can have this result. Whereas a fixed mindset person will be like, well, I'm smart, done. Or, well, I'm dumb, so I can't learn it, done. Um, and that fixed mindset really hampers you in life. And what this is, um, is uh, what, what the social justice document is, is really instilling the fixed mindset in people f- for a lot of things. Like if, you, if you're fat, you are fat. That's part of your identity. The last thing you want to do is make someone's weight integral to their identity because it uh, solidifies the fixed mindset and it will make them very difficult. It'll make it very difficult for them to be healthier. A better way to approach it is to say, you're not your weight. You're not like you be, you're not an identity group of fat. You're not part of a fat identity group. There is no identity group. You're a person with particular interests and you happen to be fat. That's something that you can change. Um, and this is, uh, really, really harmful to kids because they're really doing exactly the opposite of what we know uh, psychological research has shown, which is the growth mindset is healthier and and will lead to success more. And the fixed mindset is unhealthy and destructive, but that's exactly what they're doing with these children. So 
Uh, we can go. We can go if, if, if it's time for everyone. Let me look in chat really quickly. Uh, do I use Facebook much? I try and stay away from it. In fact, I would delete. I was on the verge of deleting my Facebook account entirely until we started this show. And so I'm on it technically. I'll go on the page and post stuff sometimes, but I'm not really on Facebook very much. Um, if you want to get a hold of me for a chat, uh, send me a tweet and tell me who you are. Like I, I can see who you are. So send me a tweet, tell me who you are, and I'll just follow you and we'll DM each other on Twitter. If that's cool. Um, so yeah, anything else that we want to talk about? I don't have anything I need to, by the way, the carbs, I see this carbs discussion. Someone mentioned carbs the other day on one of our videos. Um, we evolved to get fat fast on carbs, no sugar in nature. Yeah. So I'm actually on a carnivore diet right now, not for weight loss things, but I have a mild autoimmune uh, disease and supposedly there's only anecdotal stories about uh, carnivore diets being effective. So I'm doing it for 30 days to see if the autoimmune disease symptoms go away. If they do, I may stay on a carnivore diet. If they don't, I'll, I'll do something else. But I got to say the first few, first week or so uh, of, um, the first week or so of, of ketosis flu were not fun. Uh, but now I have more energy. I don't do, I'm literally only carnivore. I don't do caffeine. I don't do anything. Uh, I've got energy. I feel, I feel actually much better eating only meat, which is kind of weird, but you know, uh, I don't know how Pendulette lost all this weight. Andrew, how did he? Um, social justice warriors believe in the higher power of government. I don't know. They believe in some kind of higher power. It's just not anyone that you would recognize. The higher power of Karl Marx. I don't know how Pendulette lost his weight. All right. Uh, unless someone wants to tell me how Pendulette lost his weight, uh, I think it's probably time, time to go. Oh, not a higher power? Eating potatoes for three weeks, then changed his diet to match what one of his buddies stated. That's interesting. I don't know. They define power as coming. Well, this is the thing with social justice, though. Also, the power, um, they use power in a weird way because uh, they conflate. I, so this is something that I think once you think this way, you can see the words like power. There's a lot of words about power, force. A lot of these words um, fall apart, and you'll see that people misuse them. You have to draw a distinction between uh, initiation of the use of actual physical force. So power through physical force is distinctly different than quote power in other dynamics. Like I may have um, power as an employer over my employee. I could fire them. I could dock their pay. I could you know do whatever. I could promote them. That's power, right? But it's not. Uh, it's not force power. It's not power connected to force. I can't shoot them. I can't do anything. Uh, I can't initiate the use of force against them. They are free. We're in a voluntary relationship. They're free to leave. And so um, power, you hear people use power, especially social, ju social justice warriors conflate physical force power with other power, like other kinds of quote power uh, in a way that is completely inappropriate. And a lot of people do it just because they haven't thought about this, but you hear that you use force and people will say, oh, I was forced to do blah, blah, blah. Nine times out of 10, they weren't forced. They're in a voluntary relationship and they chose to do that because the alternatives were less desirable than, uh, than the option that was in front of them. So I, it's important, I think, to understand the difference between uh, you know, what, what force is 
and where and and separate when people use words like power separate what they're talking about because um you know the only true force power is is like physical physical force uh all right if they worship a higher power then by nature of their definition they worship straight white <laughs> uh <laughs> yes i i guess they do by definition gracie <laughs> they do worship power they do worship power uh but I, I think what's happened is the the left generally, not social justice warriors in particular, but I don't think there are many atheists. There are some atheists in this chat. Uh, I'm an atheist. Uh, Epistivist is obviously an atheist, but um, what's happened with most, most atheists, they believe in the state. They've just replaced uh, God with uh, democracy, like the will of the majority or the state. And that's exactly that's exactly how they that's exactly how they behave. So they don't behave as if there's not a God. They just behave as if the state is God or uh, democracy, like the, the result of democracy is God. And that's no more rational than believing in Zeus. There's no, there's, they don't get any credit for being, I don't even think they should be called atheists. I think they should be called state theists. Uh, they're not, they're not atheists. So um, anyway, <sighs> all right. There's a lot of leftists. Yeah, most atheists are leftists, Andrew. Most atheists are leftists. Um, they're like, in fact, a lot of them are avowed socialists. So um, I don't know what Xi'an man is. Xi'an man is the Gracie said, um, although uh, my wife was born in Xi'an. I don't know what that's a reference to Gracie, but it's interesting. Um, all right, guys. I'm not very good at just sitting here and babbling in a way that's actually compelling. I can babble, but it won't be fun. So um, let you guys go. Thank you for watching. And um, yeah, until next week. I don't know. Have a good, have a good week. We're, we're, we're live with Kofefi tomorrow. Every Friday we do live Kofefi. It's a uh, basically a leftovers from the week. So if you've got uh, ideas or sorry, news stories that you want us to talk about, Leftover from the week tomorrow at 10 a.m. We're going to do Kofefi Live. This is a new thing we do every Friday at live. So if there's like little news items you want us to chat about, bring them. Come to chat and we'll chat about them. All right. Thanks, everyone.